Good morning everyone to our first Bearing Point Talks. Bearing Point Talks links you to experts across industries on inspiring topics. Of course, we, on, we won't only talk, but we also have the opportunities to share views on questions after the talk via the, the live chat or directly in this room. My name is Iris Grieve. I'm the regional leader of Switzerland, Italy and Austria at Bearing Point, and it's my pleasure to be your host this morning. I'm not alone. My guests today are Jonathan Mansour, Head Global Sales and Marketing, NI of Schindler, one of the world's leading providers of escalators, elevators and moving walks, as well as of maintenance and modernization services. Schindler Group has over 1,000 branch offices in over 100 countries, as well as production sites and research and development facilities in the US, Brazil, Europe, China and India. Jonathan is an Australian citizen who has been working with Schindler for almost 12 years and has joined the global team in Switzerland in 2014. With his team, they, change, they aspire to change the way that Schindler globally engages with customers and sells its products. Jonathan, thank you very much for being with us this morning. We are delighted to have you with us. Further, we see Reto Tomasini here on stage and we'll hear him later on. Reto is a senior manager of our Swiss practice and the digital transformation team. He is also responsible for the manufacturing segment at Bearing Point in Switzerland. In today's talk, we would like to take you behind the scenes of Schindler's new digital customer journey. Schindler Plan and Design is a new global customer engagement platform. But before we dig deeper into the customer engagement at Schindler, let's quickly touch base on the level of digitalization in the construction industry. I have to admit that, at least in my eyes, the construction industry might not be at the forefront of digitalization at all times. What is your take on this, Jonathan? Yeah, look, I think it's probably a fair assessment. Um, if you look at the construction industry on whole, it's an extremely fragmented industry, from tiny mum and dad stores, running small business, uh, building supplies companies, <coughs> to very large multinationals like Schindler. So you, obviously within that frame, all of those people servicing building construction right across the globe, you have quite a different variety. But if I just look at a mature market like Germany, for instance, 93% of construction companies in Germany, that's the German Chamber of Commerce uh, study recently, said that they see digitalization changing every process in their business. But only 6% of them see that they're even close to being ready. So it's a massive transformational change that's coming to the industry, not only in some of our immature markets in Thailand and Vietnam and right throughout the Southeast Asian markets, but heavily in places like Germany, in Switzerland, in the UK, in all more mature markets. Any telltale signs you'd see, Rito, on the industry changing from a different perspective, possibly? Well, as, as, as such, the market, as you said, is not only very fragmented, it's also vast and huge in size. The, the yearly output by 2020 will reach roughly 10 trillion uh, US dollars. Uh, if we, that's a big number. I mean, it probably doesn't say much to any one of us uh, in, in, in this room and in the community, but compared to the uh, yearly output of the global financial services uh, market, which uh, reaches at the moment uh, roughly 13 trillion, it's, it's pretty much level-headed. 
and the global, uh, to, to name one more figure, uh, for, for today the global economic output uh, overall is 80 trillion. So those two uh, industries are uh, the biggest industries we, we have at all. So it's, it's a vast industry and uh, generalizations are, are difficult and are, are, are dangerous. Uh, but I could give you some snapshots, maybe two or three. Um, Chinese can build high-rise uh, high buildings, skyscrapers, 70, 57 uh, story high in 19 days. They can build everything probably faster than the rest of the world and this year. Uh, in Stanford, um, scientists are researching on a VR BIM, building information, planning, um, space, virtual space, uh, similar to Obeya, which uh, some of you may, may know. Uh, BIM is a global, is becoming a global standard. It's different standards. And for the Chinese, again, it's crucial and strategic for the Chinese government that this movement uh, is, is uh, picked up by, by Chinese and that they lead uh, in, in BIM, for example. In Switzerland, we also have signs that we are changing. Um, in Plenia, for example, can build rail track uh, uh, based on a minute-by-minute -minute plan. Resources, materials, minute-by-minute. Minute. When you go to the ETH uh, in uh, Hönkerberg, to the Architectural Technology Lab, or institute, you see robots building uh, wooden construction. You see additive manufacturing uh, all over the place. Uh, but when it comes to BIM, for example, we're not at the forefront. Switzerland is probably innovative in, in research, but when it comes to transforming digitalization in the construction industry, a 60 billion market, it takes a bit longer than, than in other markets, maybe. Okay, that sounds pretty impressive. What was it? <laughs> 57 stories in 19 days. In 19 days. Um, my question would be, but how does the planning process traditionally happen? You know, who are the customers, uh, or how, do you sh how does Schindler interact with its customers and, yeah, take this planning process and, of course, the obviously, uh, po or hopefully positive results into, into consideration? So traditionally, it's been almost a paper-driven two-way interface between us and an architect or planner. So effectively, Schindler being the supplier would get called on by a planner who's thinking about building a building and asked for our advice on the number of elevators, the size, the speed that they need to take up to move the population around the building. So this process often took months. It took lots of face-to-face -face meetings. It took a lot of two-way interface. If an architect wanted to change something, he'd send the information over to the salesperson. The salesperson would then find time in their day to obviously come back with the information, hopefully the correct information at the time. But it was a difficult situation for all organisations, not just Schindler, not just the elevator industry, but it was a complex decision-making process of bringing not only innovation, but spatial sizes from each supplier, whether it be air conditioning suppliers, whether it be elevator suppliers. And it was complex. They had to bring all these sizes and build them into, the, uh, into their building. And as a result of that, you ended up with I guess traditionally a suboptimal result. So they would over uh, specify a particular shape or size, over specify a shaft. And we all know that buildings in the end are leased or sold based on space. And that space doesn't include the space taken up by the elevators. It only includes what you can rent out to your, to your tenants or your customers. So traditionally a very slow process. It's sped up in the last few years with obviously email traffic and these sorts of things but I wouldn't call it collaborative. It's effectively a two-way exchange of information. So what actually set the trigger for Schindler to change the way 
why did Shinda change the way of uh, supporting and engaging differently with the customers? So when I joined the global team three years ago, we, we conducted a study with architects. We actually asked them, what can we do to assist the process? We actually had a lot of feedback from our sales organisation saying, we're finding it very difficult to keep up with the demand of requests. We're finding it difficult to actually be professional in the eyes of our customers, not only to find the right information internally and get that to the customer, but literally to find the time and space to be able to provide the right feedback to customers. We asked internally what some of the major issues were. And some of the issues were that because of this pressure on time on our salespeople, they sometimes were grabbing information uh, that maybe wasn't as current, wasn't the latest R&D drawings, because it was what they had on their C drive or on the last email they sent to the customer. And then we had the problem with customers not, wanting, not willing to wait because their expectation is immediate access to information, and they would do copy and paste from last projects, which led to, in some cases, the wrong drawings or not enough elevators being planned for a building. So they were kind of a number of triggers. So providing the framework upon which we said, well, what can we do here? What is it that we can institute that would allow us to free up space and time for our salespeople to truly add value? that we can provide the information to our customers very quickly when they want it, not when we want it, and in a format that they want. So that was kind of the trigger and what got us started on the journey. Any further or additional opinions on why change in customer interaction in the construction industry, Reto? We ran, out, we ran a study in Germany to back up uh, some of your hypothesis uh, with 60 architects. Um, we touched on uh, customer interaction. Uh, between architects, planners, and building suppliers such as uh, Schindler. Um, we touched on uh, information needs during planning. What kind of information does the architect actually need when during the planning process? And what's the level uh, of digitalization today um, in, in this process, in the planning process? And um, what, it's, it's not surprising uh, what, what I'm saying now, but um, seeing is believing, I believe. Um, and what, what the customers would say that, Today, as, as you said, it's a lengthy process with, with a lot of face-to-face -face, uh, interaction with, uh, with different meetings and stakeholders involved. And, and the architects and planners consider this as unnecessary. That a lot of these meetings are not really needed and take up a lot of time and probably are not efficient a format as it, as it could be. Um, they say, look, we, we would like to see um, our suppliers, but only if it's relevant, important decisions, um, presentations, and so on and so forth. Uh, number two, um, that what's, what's, what's really relevant and, and uh, struck us is that the level of digitalization is, um, is really um, more in the, in the head today. It's, the process is still fairly traditional, even, even in, in Germany, with a lot of paper involved, paper plans, paper specifications. Um, architects and building uh, managers walk around on the, on the construction with, with papers and, and, and paper plans still today. So on the one hand, they're stuck, let's say, in ancient processes somewhat. On the other hand, the awareness that this is about to change and must change and will reap huge benefits uh, was pretty clear and, and obvious. And number three, last but not least, in terms of information needs, uh, all architects, um, all architects, without an exception, said the number one source of information is the internet, is not the salesperson, uh, is not a trade fair, is not the consultant, um, the specialist on elevators or escalators, it's the internet. They want access to data 24-7. So what you would expect from 
a consumer-driven uh, B2B process or consumer-driven mind also applies more and more to B2B. Okay, given this backdrop, Jonathan, so would you mind sharing what exactly is Schindler plan and design? It's, it's a pretty simple tool, actually. Surprisingly, most of the most of the jobs that we try and replace in a digital world need to be simple, need to be very clearly outlined. We started with the vision of a customer engagement platform and simply put there's three key phases that we walk an architect through in the planning process. We define based on the population of their building and the type of building it is and the number of floors that we're going to serve, how many elevators, the speed and the size. Then we recommend some specific Schindler products and then we help them with the interior design of the product. We also do that for escalators and moving walks. So it's a, it's a super simple tool. It's obviously a very complex product that we're trying to sell and we're trying to make a reasonably complex algorithm that determines the number of uh, elevators and, and people we need to be able to move them through the building effectively to something very simple so that a, an architect can easily plan their way through. So it's a customer engagement platform that allows an architect to plan their building in seconds from an elevator and escalator point of view. On top of that, we really tried to get them what they wanted in terms of from, this, from the uh, feedback from the survey. They wanted photorealistic uh, images of the elevator that they could pass on to their uh, developer or whoever was engaging them, their stakeholders. And separately, they really focused on performance, on speed. So we had to balance both performance and speed with you know, obviously lots of innovations that are coming at us from a digital space point of view. How did you get the participants to engage or how many are engaged so far? So we, we're coming up to 10,000 registered users um, globally. It's globally deployed in over, over 50 countries. It's, um, we are very happy with the performance so far. We had something like 60,000 visits last year uh, and we only kicked off in July last year in 2017. So we're happy with the progression. I think it's an interesting point about engagement. We had a very clear idea on who we were targeting. This wasn't a consumer marketing type situation. We wanted architects who were planning buildings with elevators in them. Now there's only 750 odd thousand elevators built each year. But I say only, that seems like a lot, right? But 350,000 of them are done in China. So you can already see the market straight away is not centred in Europe or in the US, but it tends to be where they're, I guess, more at the forefront of this digital planning and there tends to be a lot smaller architects who are doing one-off buildings maybe six times a year. They were our core target market. It wasn't the big architectural firms who have built-in practices and processes and in actual fact probably have a lot more complex buildings. For the most part, we identified a, a key target audience was, a, was crucial in the whole development of the project and then we built the platform around them and then we did active marketing to those users. So it wasn't, again, a big spread of marketing across the globe, big Google AdWords um, um, you know, marketing. It was about targeting the user group via LinkedIn and a range of other social media, media platforms and asking them to join us. And we've had more than what we would have expected in terms of success, in terms of registered users, the length of time on the site, so we track that, that's crucial to us and the amount of times they download drawings. So they actually physically go through the whole planning process and download the outcome of that planning process. And we're tracking that. And now early, it's a long gestation period into a building, normally over 12 months. So we're now tracking that into offers and orders. So we're pretty excited about the process. Did you have to cater to any differences 
from a geographic perspective or is it more like one size fits all? You know, you rolled it out globally? We, we, yeah, look, we built, we built a platform for, for a couple of key differences, but not what you'd think. They're more technical differences. We deal with codes in every country, so codes that give us certain requirements of the elevators. So whether they be building codes, disable codes, and a whole range of other things. So we had to have a platform that was flexible, flexible enough to recognise the code that that particular architect needed to comply to, whether he was in a residential in Australia or in a, a retail outlet in, uh, in the UK. So we had to build that sort of functionality in, which was pretty intense, actually. That was probably very complex. Tailoring for language, and not just a direct translation, but really tailoring for the language that's used in the industry in that particular country was crucial. Which, honestly, in the, when it started, we overlooked it. We thought we could outsource it to an agency and bring it back. But really, you needed people on the ground who said, no, that's not what we call it here. A lift is not a lift in the UK. Uh, it's, uh, sorry, in the US, it's an elevator. So actually making those adjustments are crucially important. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a challenge to start with, but we didn't tailor it much. We built a global platform, and we were very solid on the fact we wanted to build a global platform. So we had lots of countries saying, oh, we're different, we're different, we're different. But when we actually went and asked their customers, what they wanted was the same. And yes, the language and maybe some of the rules were a bit different, but we were able to apply the same platform. Um, would you say that this is one of the success factors? And if yes, which would other key success factors be? I think you've got to start from, in terms of the overall structure of the project was crucial. So first <coughs> you've got to have money. So I've been involved in far too many of these adventures where people think it's a nice idea and they see it as a marketing effort. It's not. It's a consistent change in the way we engage with our customers and therefore needs as much investment as if you're spending money on building a new elevator or a new car, depending on your industry, or a whole new way you're dealing with customers in a financial space. So having the money, the intent from a senior level, and then being able to have a, a team that had a couple of key roles. The first one is somebody that had the big vision, the big strategy, and applied that strategy to the weekly meeting. Made sure you weren't diverting for the sake of a deadline. Made sure you were consistently delivering on the overall vision. And then you needed a team who were energetic, innovative, and delivered. So we meet every Wednesday morning, nine o'clock, without fail, the team get together, and we work in that frame every week. And we have done for about two years. And the level of commitment and engagement from that team is, is unbelievable. It's a cross-functional team with Bearing Point, Schindler staff, a whole range of people. The developers are online, our own internal developers and external developers, and we really have a consistent vision, a consistent target, and as a result, we seem to be executing quite well. So having that long-term vision, I guess the end game, which isn't Schindler plan and design, it's a customer engagement platform, which may evolve and change over time, having one eye on technology coming in, but then having a laser focus on the customers that you're actually trying to target, and, the, and even drilling into what physical tasks are we trying to make their job easier with? What tasks are we trying to take off their hands or just make the process easier? And that's crucial. So I think I would say money, no question. Don't start it without it. It's, it does, you know, we, we, in business we're also, we see the latest innovation, we say let's go for it. But we always forget that it involves investment. And if it's not worth the investment, then don't do it. Just stop, you waste a lot of time and effort. Focusing on what's needed by your customer is the other crucial element, and then having the right team. 
having the right team and process and structure. Rachel, would you would you agree? Uh, completely. Is absolutely. that the recipe? <laughs> the recipe for success in I, such a project. I, I, I fully I fully agree. Um, and and what I can add, uh, you touched on this, uh, Jonathan, is that. Uh, complexity of, of, of such um, ventures, especially in a global scale, is usually vastly underestimated. Um, if we have a, let's say, a three-phased approach with um, think big, right, have this big vision of changing the customer journey for, for, for planning globally in all markets, uh, likewise, and then um, start kind of innovating and start small with, uh, with a new journey or with different scenarios of, of a new journey. Um, developing, developing it finally, failing uh, a, f a few times, I may yep. add. Um, Absolutely. But uh, succeeding uh, in the end, I'll, I'll get you back. And then transforming and really glow, uh, rolling out. And I think the first two steps, um, even in Switzerland, we're learning to be uh, agile and innovative. We are an innovative uh, country as, as, as such. I think we, we can manage that. We can also prototype. We're now today in a um, creative breakout uh, location or co-working um, location, which fosters or helps to, to try out things, right? Um, we, we can do that too. We can build, we have um, uh, good, good methods and frameworks in place to um, deliver fast results in terms of cus new customer experiences. But I think then the crucial, the really crucial uh, step is, is transforming and scaling out. And that's where a lot of companies fail um, to have uh, not only the guts, but also to have maybe the funding and, and have the discipline to really follow through and rolling out because that's that's where the hard work starts and that's where we also leave an agile and let's say fun playful uh, approach with, with with trying out new things then it's about global organization it's about market <laughs> specifics it's about convincing sales accepting new tools which support <laughs> them and not make them um, uh, obsolete, um, which also includes um, convincing the customers because they also are used to a, a way to work which is uh, the way they worked for, for, for a long time. So you also have to do or put in a lot of, of, of marketing. And marketing again is different depending on the different markets, on the different organizations you have. So there you have a lot of work and this, this, this needs to be planned thoroughly and follow through thoroughly and companies tend to underestimate that, and maybe funding is there for the fun part in the beginning, but it needs actually more funding to roll things out and to transform the organization, the customer journeys, uh, than, than in, the, in the early phases. And I think that's crucial, and that's what you um, showed uh, you're, you're capable of and, uh, and did successfully. Yeah, so there's probably one thing to add there is, is this idea of trans transforming an part of your organization. So. With this process, there was a possibility that some salespeople may see us taking some of their, I don't know, intellectual property, some of the value they add to the organisation away from them. And being mindful of that and really assisting the countries to educate their sales team that actually we're freeing up time to enable them to add more value in places where they really do add value. That was a crucial element in, I think, the success. And we see where we've done that very well, specific countries with the same tool and kind of the same environment where we've done it really well 
our usage has skyrocketed, the effectiveness of the tool skyrocketed, and the engagement of the sales guys has skyrocketed. And we're converting them to orders. Where we maybe didn't do as well, we didn't communicate as effectively to sales guys, that we were changing a little bit the way they were going to operate. We kind of thought, you know, this is a good tool, let's, let's push it out there. Maybe we didn't invest enough in that transformation. The numbers aren't the same. We're not seeing as many users, we're not seeing as many existing customers use the tool. We're not seeing as many uh, offers go out as a result of the planning, and we're not seeing as many orders. Because in the end, this is a marketing tool, and marketing needs to result in dollars and cents, or Swiss francs, given we're here. That's gotta be the end result. So this piece about engagement with salespeople, or whoever, whoever's role you're influencing with a customer journey change, is crucial, not only in terms of helping them deliver, but in terms of also delivering on the promise of the tool. There's no, it's, it would be the worst thing in the world to have the world's best tool, but nobody in the background supporting it because they, they're not engaged with the process as well. Is everybody on track and engaging as soon as communication kicks in an appropriate way, or are you actually losing people internally, uh, you, considering their buy-in, etc.? Yeah. Look, it's like any, like any transformation, like any yeah. change. You're not going to get everybody. I think we're realistic and we're around change enough to understand that we're not going to get everybody in every every phase. Our goal is to, in each market, we try and find the early innovators, the guys who are heavily influencing the market, who, who do change, and we do influence them. And eventually, when salespeople are, in our case, you know, mindful of the fact they're under pressure to get orders, when they see orders coming through in a simple interface, when they see new leads coming to them without having to do any work for it, they're pretty quick to move on. They're pretty quick to move over whatever was stopping them from engaging, and then they engage. So it may take longer, but we're seeing them, seeing them roll through. So it's, it's not that much of a topic. And customers are actually much more agile. They move much faster. The moment they see they save 20 minutes, they'll move. So it's not a topic for the customer. Sounds good. Uh, from a timing perspective, you've talked about the project, the rollout. Um, what's the schedule of the uh, digital or the plan and design rollout, and what is coming after that? What do you have in store, let's say, for five years from now? Yeah, actually, well, we, we, um, I said before that we, we have one eye on technology and the way it's moving, but one foot family camped in what our customers are after. So we'll keep a constant eye on what our customers as their needs and, and their wants evolve and change. So we'll, we'll redo the survey with architects We'll constantly be out there talking to them to see how their world's evolving and what else we can do to change. Now, the way we structured this was to build a platform. Uh, and we look at things like virtual reality, augmented reality, chatbots. There's a range of different areas that we see possibilities in the technology, but maybe the technology is not mature enough for us yet, but it's worth a test. It's worth us having a look at. You know, virtual reality is a great example that you know a, a week wouldn't go past where somebody from the 60,000 people that work for Schindler doesn't ping me an email saying, I'd love to have a virtual reality thing in my, my elevator car, that'd be great. But actually when we ask our customers, they say, no, I want photorealistic. I want to be able to print it out and hand it with a pack to my customer to say that's the elevator you're getting. So the technology can sometimes blindside us. So it's really important we keep focus on as that technology evolves and becomes important to our customers, we're ready to implement and we're fast to implement. And I think that's the ticket. It's all well and good to have every technology, but if your customers don't care, it's meaningless. So make sure, making sure that we're ready 
with each of the evolving technologies as they come, and then being able to quickly bring them into our tool is very important for us. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. I'd like to now open up for questions in the room or via the live chat. Is anybody eager to know something else? I have a question about the geography. You said China is the biggest growth market, especially also at this point in time. Plus, we have the more mature and then the quote-unquote immature market. When you made the study of how to position the tool in the processes and what the customers are, I assume that there's not one type of customer and one type of process you have to yeah. meet. How did you approach that? Yeah, so we, we took a pretty practical view on that. We didn't have uh, a huge investment to go and do market research in 20 countries, so we looked at core cities and we did qualitative study in each of those core cities. We ran that at the start of last year with our customers. And it was a general, what can we do better? How can we communicate with you better? And at Chinla, we're very, uh, you know, we use net promoter scores, so every single customer of ours gets surveyed every year. Uh, and we've now started doing the non-customers of ours. So people that maybe used to be customers and no longer work for us and say, well, what is it about us? What was it about our service? Or what is it about your current supplier that you like? We data mine that information to really get a sense of, okay, what are the cultural differences and differences? And then we built a platform that allowed us to slightly adapt in each market. But as I said, we asked the customers, we said, here's our platform that we're using in and we, we literally translated it, used a mock-up and said, this is the platform that we're using in Europe. Will this work for you here in Thailand? And the Thai customer said, we love it. Fantastic. It's going to give us all we need. So long as it's tailored for us from a code and, our, and our, you know, the buildings in Thailand are different. The requirements are different. So long as it's tailored for them and it's the same advice I'd get from my local sales guy and I can ring him and he knows about it, then it's no problem. So geography is a huge topic. I think in terms of the original planning, but because we, we had a desire to build a global platform for a couple of reasons, but primarily because it enabled us to leverage technology. The issue with making very tailored platforms in each market, which has been our traditional approach, is you can never be at the forefront of technology. It's difficult to partner with, with companies that really are at the forefront of, say, for instance, visualization technology, because you haven't got enough bandwidth. You've got maybe 5,000 users in a country. You don't have the investment money. So we really wanted to build a platform that we could then leverage, bring partners in, whatever the technology might be. It's a very good question, because the Chinese market is indeed different than all the other markets, because 50% uh, of the global output in construction is is in Asia, and uh, the vast majority of it is, is, is China. So you have differences probably which are not comparable to all the other markets uh, Schindler is catering to. Uh, project sizes in general are much bigger than anywhere else in the world. Uh, I think also the, the construction cycles are much shorter than probably anywhere in, in, in the world. Um, so there is different requirements in this very specific and very strategic uh, market, which you have to decide, do you cater to in a first step or not? Is this maybe something you take up uh, at, at the later stage? And from my perspective outside in, I think it was a, a decision that the Chinese uh, market and the Chinese uh, were always involved in developing this, this solution, but uh, there were decisions that not all the requirements 
were fulfilled, yeah. uh, which were local requirements from the Chinese market. There's a question from the live chat to Jonathan. What was actually the largest roadblock you encountered? I, I think it's uh, the largest roadblock we encountered is actually a bit more uh, gaining that clarity of thought over the long-term vision and getting alignment in the senior levels of the organisation. So it was the fact that we, I think, you know, in this day and age, people expect, I just want an app that I can look around the elevator car, for instance. It should only take two months. So getting that much larger vision and plan on the table that we wanted a true customer, global customer engagement platform, getting acceptance of that. Um, once people bought into that, then everything else followed. The money followed, the investment, the, uh, the managerial support. You know, simple things like using from our core R&D drawings and taking them directly into our platform, which obviously saves a huge amount of time, but required some investment to get it right, both from R&D and in IT for the processes and all these sorts of things. That roadblock of getting alignment on the overall vision and strategy meant that those topics weren't as much of a roadblock. But that was the hardest thing to overcome. And I would think it's probably the effort, time, investment from a whole range of group, a whole range of people that had bought in uh, to get that overcome has meant we've saved a lot of time in the long term. Okay, further question to both of you. What does digitalization actually mean to you personally? For me personally, personally it has, has a lot to do with, uh, with convenience and, and everyday convenience. Um, I can get everything uh, through the internet 24-7 and um, I can choose between doing it myself uh, online or getting customer service involved or not. So as a consumer, um, I think it has a lot to do with convenience, with, uh, with efficiency, with, uh, with automation. And from a, from a business perspective, I think there's a lot of potential. Uh, leveraging um, digitalization and then smart technology in uh, almost any o operations. We, we, we may, you quickly touched on chatbots, uh, uh, virtual uh, personal assistants, uh, robot advisor, etc. Um, there's, there's a lot uh, in store which kind of moves what we, or the, the criticality of, it, of what we do today towards more to, to watch other topics. What, what is our role in the future? We don't do repetitive tasks maybe so often as, as we do today. Uh, what does it mean in terms of customer service? What's our new role in customer service if you apply new technologies like uh, robot advisors? Um, so there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of questions from an organizational point of view. What does it do with us and how? what's our role in, in the future, uh, more, even more digitized? Yeah, and I'd say from my point of view, convenience is key, but flexibility also. You get access to so much more. So uh, I live here in Lucerne. It's a beautiful little town. It has its range of, of, of retail outlets. But if I can't find what I want, I know I can on the internet. I still love going and talking to the shop assistants and trying something on. But if that doesn't work, you can pop off. If they don't have the right size, you can order it. I think that level of convenience um, is now a, a standard. It's what we expect. So the moment a website doesn't work, my wife hates me. I'm yelling about it, I'm screaming about it, how incompetent are these people? Uh, so it also it, it requires us in business to be mindful of the fact that everybody's expectations are skyrocketing. When Nobody's in a slow-moving manufacturing industry anymore, like Schindler used to be. Everything is fast-moving. Maybe the elevators don't change, but our customers' expectations of us do. And if you don't keep up or stay ahead, 
you end up disappointing them. And that's the last thing, obviously, we want to do. So, Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks to everybody on the live chat and uh, in this charming early morning uh, location. Thanks for being with us and we hope you'll tune in or join uh, for the next BE Talks on March 6. The topic will be chatbots, virtual personal assistants and robo-advisors. So some flavors of what we've already heard about, but we're going to take it further from there on March 6th. Thanks a bunch and have a great day. Uh...